I was everybody's emergency contact in college. I had friends who basically I was the easy person to put down as their emergency contact because their parents were in other states or didn't speak English that well. And so I would usually find out after the fact. They're like, oh, I went skydiving and I put you down as the emergency contact. I was like, thanks. That's Justin Fishner Wolfson, co-founder of 137 Ventures, a VC firm that invests in growth stage companies like SpaceX, Airbnb, Uber, and many more. I'm Maureen Taylor, co-founder of SNP Communications. On this episode of Think Like a Founder, I talk with Justin about his grandfather's work at the New York Stock Exchange, building a team with the right people and how he first got a taste for venture capital while working at Founders Fund alongside his friends from Stanford. When he started his own fund, having the right people at the right time was a central part of his success. Even now, Justin works and does business with many people he considers friends. This is Think Like a Founder. The four other guys were Peter Thiel, Sean Parker, Ken Howery, Luke Nosek, sort of the five of us on the investment side back then. Peter was still, I think, well-known for making the investment in Facebook. So Facebook was a real company, but nothing like what it ultimately became. Sean was the founding president at Facebook, and so the whole Facebook vibe was was pretty strong. And three of the guys, Ken, Luke, and Peter, had all worked together at PayPal. So they knew each other for a long time and kind of went through all the ups and downs. It was a very interesting group of people. And how did you start there? What was the connection that brought you there? So I went to Stanford. Peter went to Stanford. Kenny went to Stanford. And so we spanned different years. Before 2007, Peter was kind of doing this part-time. Kenny was doing it part-time. And they were looking for someone that maybe would join them and do more of the heavy lifting. Back then, back in 2007, it kind of got serious. And so Peter decided like, all right, we're going to we're gonna run like a real venture business. And I kind of decided it'd be an interesting group of people to join up with. Justin left Founders Fund in 2011 to start 137 Ventures. I asked him about his decision to found his own company. It was important because I actually made the step of leaving and starting something. It's funny that you say founder because... Most of the folks in the industry, I think when they use the term, really think about people who start tech companies. And I left and we started a venture firm, obviously, but it's still business, right? It's just like a slightly different kind of business. But it was obviously important to me because Founders Fund was a good place and it was interesting. And I certainly learned a ton of things that carry forward even to today. Well, you know, a lot of people work at interesting places with interesting people. And if they leave the place, many of them go to other interesting places with interesting people. Very few people leave something and start their own thing. So founder mentality, whether it's technology or anything, is something that's unusual. It probably has something to do with the fact that myself and probably other people don't realize how bad an idea it really is. <laughs> people don't know how hard things actually are until you until you do it, right? If people really understood it, they're like, you would never do these things. But it's some level of just not knowing that causes people to think like, oh, this will be easy. So I mean, I left and partially because, you know, I was there at the very beginning of Founders Fund. So I, I was intimately involved with the process of raising Founders Fund, the first institutional fund and the second institutional fund. I'd gone through that process. I I thought I knew what I was doing, and that was somewhat true. There's a problem that I see in the market. There's something that I thought we could build a a fund around. And so I left to go start that. I wouldn't have left 
for no good reason. Like mm-hmm. I left because I thought there was a real opportunity to pursue. And also, though, you have a very unique model and you came up with that. And is that one of the reasons that you wanted to be on your own to try something a little bit different? I mean, I thought it was something that no one else was doing. It wasn't like a some kind of flash of insight. I had a lot of friends who were at Facebook that I knew from college who were looking for liquidity. And when they called me and said, hey, do you know anyone who will lend me some money so I can go buy a house? The answer was that I had no idea, but I figured someone was in that business. And so I called the banks and the venture debt firms because I sort of assumed that they would be the ones to do this. And it turns out that they weren't and they didn't want to be either. That just struck me as an opportunity. So now 137 Ventures, I've always loved the name. I don't know why, I just think it's cool. And it has a personal element to it. Tell the story. My grandfather, he used to work on the New York Stock Exchange. And so back then, the way that they would signal to traders on the floor, they had this big enunciator, which was the way that they would they would communicate. And his number when he was there was 137. So I actually have the box from the old enunciator when they took it down from the exchange. And that was how we named the firm. 137 Ventures has certainly grown since then. And as any founder knows, a key element to a successful, happy business are the people around you. Whether it's your co-founder, your leadership team, who you hire, or the people you do business with. Do you share similar values? Do you respect each other's core competencies? I asked Justin about the importance of who he surrounds himself with. So there were three of us when we started the fund, and I think it's always nice to have a few other folks when you're starting something, just because everything is hard and you'll always want to be able to lean on other people when you know, you're know you feeling down or they're feeling down or whatever, right? There's always a different moment when everybody is happy or sad at different moments. And so it's just helpful when you have that support network and you're starting a company with you know one or two other people. Um, and so that was sort of certainly my experience. So yeah, we've definitely we've definitely built a great group of people, but it's, you know, the the you know, the people that were the right people when you're two people and the people that are the right people when you're 15 people and the people that are the right people when you're 200 people are not always the same. I mean, sometimes it's the same and sometimes people grow with organizations, but at the same time, I think you have to appreciate what people can contribute at the right moments. And, you know, if the organization changes or the needs change, I mean, then sometimes the people change too, but that doesn't mean that they weren't great and important. It just means that they were the right people at the right time at the right, you know, for the right thing, right? And stuff stuff evolves. You know, we've added more junior people over the years. I think one thing that we did slightly on purpose and I think also a reflection of, of one of the guys, but like, you know, he joined as a summer intern and ended up as a partner. And, and so the fact that we have hired junior people and then promoted people, I think has been a real benefit in terms of our ability to attract really good junior talent. And I think that will that helps on a going forward basis as you're trying to build a bigger, more sustainable organization. We just started thinking about all of the people that we've done business with over the years, and it's really like an incredible group of folks. I guess it's a little less obvious to me because I'm close to all these people, and so like they're actually like legitimately friends of mine. I mean, I think we have a great group of people that I've worked with over the years. I think it's a group of people that, that we genuinely like each other. I think we build a team where everyone is smart and engaged and fun to be around. And if we can continue to do what we've been doing, and we can do this for a very long time. One of the things about Justin's world of VC and most people who run a company is the capacity to be okay with ambiguity. 
There's so much you can't control. There are also things you can and have to control. For him, so much of how he dances with that ambiguity is about the relationships. I think it comes down to you just have to be okay with the fact that you're investing in businesses that are run by other people and that you have the ability to influence outcomes, but you certainly don't have the ability to control them. And I think people forget how much this is a people-driven business and that your ability to influence outcomes is based on your relationships with people. People always ask things like, oh, well, you know, do you have information rights and yada, yada, yada. And the answer is sure, maybe you do, maybe you don't, right? Like it doesn't really matter because if you don't have a good relationship with the founders and the management teams of the companies that you invest in, you're not getting anything. And I couldn't care less what the documents say because the number of times that venture people have sued companies in the last 20 years, I mean, I can't even think of an example, right? Like it's just going to be incredibly uncommon. And so it's not really about what the documents say or whatever you negotiate. It's about whatever your relationship is with people and are they willing to listen to you? Are they willing to share information with you? Like that's what matters. And if you were talking to somebody who's in school right now, say, junior, senior, and they're trying to figure out what they want to do and they're thinking about either their own business or they have that feeling that they want to do something to have impact. So there's a drive to have it. What advice would you give them? I think the trick is just starting something. So many people have so many ideas and yet they never actually do anything. And so the trick is doing something. I mean, I was just having a conversation with someone about what they should do. And it's like, look, you just have to do it. You have to quit your job. You actually have to go and take the steps to start something. Otherwise, you can talk about it forever and you'll never actually accomplish anything. I think just taking that first step is really hard for people. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's what distinguishes people who really should do it and shouldn't? Because there's some people that the risk of starting is nothing. I mean, it's always something, but it's like, of course I'm going to do that. And if it's too hard, maybe you shouldn't do it. There's like some basketball quote, you miss 100% of shots you don't take sort of thing. I mean, I have no idea whether or not the people that you can't convince to start something would actually be good or terrible because you never know. And it might be that you shouldn't try to convince anyone to start something because if they start it, then they actually were the wrong person because you had to convince them in the first place. I'm sure there's a population of people that are fit into both camps. Mm-hmm. There's some people that just need a little bit of a push mm-hmm. to know that it's possible and that they should go take take the first steps. And then there's some people that if you really have to convince them, they're the wrong person to do this in the first place. Knowing where that line is is probably hard. But at the end of the day, I think it's everybody's individual decision. If they want to go start something, like they'll actually go do it. I mean, ideas are great and they matter, but there's just a lot of hard work to turn an idea into something that's useful. What's the most surprising thing, aside from it not being as easy as one might think, the most surprising thing about being a founder? I don't know what's necessarily specific to being a founder. I mean, certainly everything takes longer than you expect, even when you know that everything takes longer than you expect. So you think you'd be able to adjust, and yet somehow it never quite works. It turns out, right, like in some sense, it's always hard to work for people. But if you are responsible for the business, it turns out you work for all the people that you bring on to the business. I mean, in my case, like we have outside investors. And so you don't directly work from them in like a direct capacity. I mean, at the end of the day, like you work for your outside investors and you work for the people who work for you and you never quite escape that. You sort of have the ability to make the decisions and do what you think is the right thing. Whether or not you're ultimately correct, time will tell, but you sort of have the responsibility and the flexibility of doing that. The downside is 
one, it's hard, and two, it's somewhat lonely. There are not a lot of opportunities where you can talk to other people who really understand the problems that you're dealing with. Because even if they're the founder of another company or whatever, like they're going to have different problems. They're going to have different, it's a different business. And there's just always things that are going to be different. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to decide if you're okay with that, right? I mean, I think it's somewhat similar to being, if you're running any organization, you don't get to complain down. That's not a good look. It's not a good look at all. I completely agree. One of the things that I've learned in other people talking about it is that you have to, uh, you can't care about being liked as much as respected. It's not a fan club. And the loneliness is palpable and something that you have to be okay with. That's something that you don't talk about it. You don't get together and talk about loneliness, but it is lonely. People put on a good good facade and most of the time things are good and mm-hmm. I'm sure things are good with them and things are good with me, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to have moments where it would be nice to talk to someone who actually had a very similar experience, but that's somewhat hard to find. In all of the conversations we've had over the years with founders, purpose is a key driver for almost all of them. It's not just about money and being successful. Justin has seen many startups and founders through his time at Founders Fund, and now with 137 Ventures. And he has an interesting perspective on the definition of a successful business. I think the Valley is at its best when people are trying to do things that they think are compelling and will also make the money. And there are moments when it becomes just about the money and everyone wants to launch the same thing as the other guy already launched that seems to be getting a fair amount of traction and sell it as quickly as possible and make some money. And that happens. I think all those businesses generally are not great businesses. I think my definition of venture-backable companies is different than the broader market appears to think are venture-backable companies. And that it's very myopic out here that if you don't have a venture-backed company, you're not cool. And people seem to not understand that you can have an incredible cash flow business that's amazing. I mean, there's a family that basically controls a company called Tetra Pak that makes every single carton you've ever bought. Go look at any paper thing you've ever bought and look at the bottom, and almost certainly it says Tetra Pak on it. And this is some business that was built... I don't know, a very long time ago, maybe even 100 years ago, and throws off a crazy amount of cash every year. And for some reason, that's not cool in the Valley, right? I think people have forgotten this. And so there's like a category of businesses that are great businesses, but they're not venture businesses. And then there's a category of businesses that really can only exist within venture. And if you give venture money to non-venture businesses, most of the time you just end up killing them, right? And I think that's just a terrible outcome. And within the venture set of businesses, right? These are things where you would never be able to spend the money on research and development on a product before, you know, you'd actually be able to generate revenue. So you really have no choice but to raise venture money. A lot of these SaaS companies consume a lot of capital up front because the way they get paid is small amounts of money over long periods of time, which is a totally fine way of constructing a business, but ultimately requires some amount of equity up front. And potentially, I think we're getting to a point where you can raise more debt in the long run to fuel the growth. And ironically, venture itself is probably like one of the least innovative industries. So, I mean, obviously you invest in all of these companies that are fundamentally disrupting industries. But if you look at venture, it has more or less been the same since it got started. The structure of it, the way the firms are organized, the way the terms are organized. I mean, there have been small changes over the years, but it's it's all pretty similar, which is just 
I think, somewhat ironic. One of the things I appreciate about Justin is his sense of responsibility to others. He jokes that he was everyone's emergency contact in college. Well, I had friends who basically I was the easy person to put down as their emergency contact because their parents were in other states or didn't speak English that well. And so I would usually find out after the fact. They're like, oh, I went skydiving and I put you down as the emergency contact. I was like, thanks. <laughs> because you're so responsible. I'm very responsible, so, apparently. Well, At least yeah. people think that. I don't I mean, we'll say. Are you constantly trying to improve yourself? Sure. Who says no to that question? I know, that's true. <laughs> Do you consider yourself a student then? No one's right 100% of the time. I think you always want to be open to changing your mind. You know, it's always worth engaging on whatever the topic is and then deciding whether or not you should change your mind. And if you should, great. And if you shouldn't, just mm-hmm. keep going. I always think it's worth learning things, right? I mean, I'm always interested in what people are doing and why. I think the why is always the interesting question. And when you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? You go through all the various phases, right? There was a time when I wanted to be president, though that seems less attractive these days. Um, You know, there's a time when I wanted to be an astronaut, which seems more practical with SpaceX these days. I mean, I like what I do. I think I get to work with a lot of very interesting people. So I always say this is the last job I'll ever have. That was Justin Fishner Wolfson, co-founder of 137 Ventures. They're a VC firm that invests in growth stage companies by providing liquidity solutions to the company's founders, executives, and other large shareholders. Founded in 2011, 137 Ventures has raised four funds and manages over $1 billion in assets. They have invested in companies such as SpaceX, Airbnb, Uber, Spotify, Wish, and many more. On the next episode of Think Like a Founder, I'm joined by Anne O'Day, co-founder and CEO of Silicon Republic, an award-winning online publication for science and technology news. We talk about her chronic shyness as a child, how the only way to do business is with integrity and her love of bird watching. I'm Maureen Taylor. This is Think Like a Founder. Thanks for listening. Think Like a Founder is produced by SNP Communications in San Francisco, California. Learn more by visiting us at snpnet.com or connect with me, Maureen Taylor, on LinkedIn to continue the conversation there. Series producer is Roisin Hunt. Sound design by Mark Ream. Creative producer, Eli Shell. Content and scripting by Mike Sullivan. Production coordination, Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena, Persiani Shell, John Hughes, and Ren Vara. This is Think Like a Founder.